Welcome to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of the Insurance Recovery Practice at Lowenstein Sandler. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by my partner, Eric Jesse, and we're going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, which is getting that late Friday afternoon phone call from a mediation when a carrier is not paying. So Eric, welcome back. Great to be here. How are you doing? Good to have the band back together here. Absolutely. Let me set the scene. It's late in the day, as I said, usually on a Friday or my other favorite, which is the day before a major holiday. And the phone call comes in from a mediation that we have no knowledge of, we haven't been invited to, and really don't know the facts of the case. There's a settlement opportunity, but the insurer has dug in with either a no pay position or a low ball settlement offer. What in the world is the policyholder? To do, yeah. So you know, in that moment, there are you know maybe four, or four and a half possibilities. None of them that that are ideal, unfortunately. But that's the reality. You know, one option is just to walk away from from the settlement. Obviously, you know, if you're at a mediation, you're there to try and get a deal done. So again, not ideal. Another possibility is you know you want to settle while preserving the right to you know pursue coverage in a in a subsequent dispute. So Eric, how do you how do you do that when the policy has a consent provision that says the insurance company has to say yes before you can agree to pay anything? How do you how do you navigate that? Yeah, so what we'll typically do here cuz that's obviously an important factor. So what we'll do is we'll ask the carrier to waive the consent to settle provision so that we can go out and make the settlement and all parties will mutually reserve their rights to argue about whether the settlement was was reasonable. But that's how we often handle that situation. And in, in most cases, but not all, the carrier will agree to that waiver. Okay. So in that instance, you can either write the entire check. Is there a middle ground? Yeah. So yeah, writing the entire check, right? You're doing the pay and chase option. You know, the middle ground is to see if the carrier will fund, again, you know, where they're putting up the money instead of the policyholder, where all parties are reserving their rights on the coverage dispute going forward. All right. So you said we have four and a half possibilities. Yeah. One is walk away. Uh, Two is to settle with either your own money or the carrier's money. That's the half option. What's the third option? Yeah. So another option that, that we're often faced with is is really where the claimant can enter into a settlement and then make an assignment to the claimant to pursue the rights to the insurance policy proceeds. And here it's going to be important that the policyholder makes sure that that settlement is negotiated, is reasonable and in good faith. It can't be a collusive settlement where you're just trying to hand the insurer the, you know, the bill. Yeah. And then what's the fourth yeah. and final option? Yeah, and this is the one that we're we're also familiar with. This is where you know coverage counsel is really needed to to parachute in to twist the carrier's arm, where we come in and we're making the arguments for why the insurance company 
needs to provide settlement authority here and provide a contribution to the settlement. Here, we're pointing out you know, that the insurer has a fiduciary obligation under many states' laws to put their financial interests ahead of the insureds, and so they need to settle to protect the insured. And we're making the, the bad faith argument that if, if they don't settle, we're going to be coming after them for any judgment that, that exceeds, even if it exceeds the settlement or policy limits. So when the policyholders at that mediation and finds themselves in that unhappy circumstance, what are the first couple of things that the policyholder needs to know to assess which of the four and a half options you just outlined are the best ones for them to pursue in that in that moment? Yeah. So I mean, first and foremost is is the policy language. And you know, this is where we constantly advise our clients to be proactive when they're obtaining a policy. You know, don't just buy a policy and place it on the shelf. Understand what the policy language is, and you know, try to negotiate for better language if you can, because it is possible to negotiate language. You know, to address the consent to settle option, where you can ask the carrier during the renewal phase where they want their premium dollars to add language that you know the insurer cannot unreasonably withhold their consent. And so policy language is, is certainly king. There's a couple other options or things that policyholders need to keep in mind, right? One is choice of law. I know that this has been a constant topic on don't take no for an answer. You know, and this is going to impact the ability to assign the uh, right to receive proceeds to a claimant. Right. So meaning that some jurisdictions may allow you to assign the rights to receive those proceeds under the policy. But as you're sitting at that mediation as a policyholder, you better not assume that to be true without checking first, right? Exactly. Exactly. And what about the status and history of the business relationship between the policyholder and the insured? Does that really have any impact when you're sitting at the mediation? And and who are the stakeholders that you need to have on speed dial for that? Yeah, so that's obviously another important factor, you know, an intangible factor where if if the policyholder is a longstanding insured of the insurer, Right there should, you know, you can make the arguments for business accommodations to get things done. You know, conversely, if the policyholder has switched insurers and that relationship isn't there, the insurance company is much more likely to take a sand in the gears approach. But I think in all events, you really need to have, you know, make sure your broker is up to speed and make sure they're available to, you know, advocate for your behalf, on, on, certainly on the commercial front. And to request the, you know, what I'll call the business accommodation from from the carrier. Yeah, and here I want to add that policyholders need to think broadly about that business relationship. So if you're sitting at a mediation involving an employment dispute, you don't need to know just the relationship for that EPL policy. You know, sometimes our our clients have policies with the same insurer across five or six different coverage lines, and that's a lot of premium dollars. That is yep. being paid out year over year. So when you think about the business relationship, you've really got to think broadly beyond just the, the claim that has brought you to the mediation that day and what leverage there is to play there. And, and I also want to note that 
these these three things that you just talked about, Eric, the policy language, choice of law, and the business relationship, frankly, that's something that policyholders should be thinking about before they ever get to the mediation. These are all things that as you prepare to go in to try to resolve that claim, you, you really should have all of that information locked down because that's going to be able to put you in the best position to respond on your feet at the mediation. So Eric, I want to ask you, is there ever a time when you're called from the mediation because the policyholder is the one that doesn't want to settle and the insurance company does? Yeah, so that can certainly happen. The reason a policyholder might not want to settle, but the carrier does, because the policyholder is concerned about their reputation and the insurer you know, doesn't care. They want to try and get out for as, as little as possible. But a policyholder, you know, they may be accused of professional malpractice, for example. And so they want and need that vindication in court by going to the mats and getting a finding of no liability. A- another reason a policyholder might not want to settle is they want to avoid setting a precedent. They want to communicate to the plaintiff's bar that, you know, they're not going to be an easy target and subject themselves to multiple lawsuits, whereas the carrier is just thinking about that one case. And again, trying to you know get out for as, as little as possible. So the insurer wants to settle. The policyholder doesn't. Um, is there policy language that addresses this circumstance? And if so, how does that work? Yes, there is. And this is goes back to our earlier point about how the policy language is key and how you can't just take the policy and put it on the shelf. Many policies have what's called the hammer clause, which means that if the insurance company wants to settle and the policyholder doesn't, all right, well, the settlement won't go forward, but the insurance company will only pay a percentage of the future defense costs and any settlement costs. So, you know, oftentimes you'll see a policy that maybe says 50%, meaning the carrier only has to pay 50% of defense costs after that settlement opportunity is rejected by the policyholder, right? When we're negotiating the policies, we want to make sure that it's getting that percentage as high as possible. Yeah. So once again, the words matter in the insurance policy and a best practices tip here again, is these are all terms that should be evaluated and negotiated during the underwriting and placement of these policies, as opposed to reading it for the first time when you're sitting at a mediation and the carrier's trying to cram a settlement down your throat. All right, Eric. So let's go back to our late in the day phone call from our unhappy client. Were there things that the policyholder could have or should have done to avoid finding themselves in that position? Right. I think this is the question is, how do we make sure everyone gets to happy hour on time? (laughs) And so, you know, one of the things that can really help, you know, us as, as coverage lawyers leverage the insurance company to step up is getting a settlement demand from the plaintiff or the claimant that is ideally at or within policy limits. And the reason for that is, you know, there is a case in New Jersey called Rova Farms, and there's similar case law throughout the country that says when an insurance company has a settlement opportunity that is within policy limits, and they 
fail to consent to that settlement, then they have liability for any judgment in excess of that settlement and even in excess of their policy limits. So it can be a very strong hammer to twist the insurer's arm to to step up. Right. So sometimes the plaintiffs will send that demand on their own in advance of the mediation. But it's important, I think, for policyholders to understand that sometimes the the plaintiffs need a little bit of a prod and a suggestion that that would be something helpful going into the mediation just to have an idea of what the plaintiff is looking for. Obviously, you're not going to disclose that you have insurance, but getting that demand in hand is super important. And Linda, one other point I think that can help this along is, you know, really educating the mediator on insurance. So, you know, when we're coverage counsel and our client and their defense counsel is going to the mediation, we'll often prepare a mediation statement that goes to the, you know, to the mediator who can, you know, help facilitate, you know, getting the the insurance company to step up as well. So the plaintiff plays a role. The mediator has a role. What about the lawyer that's defending the policyholder at the mediation? Do they have any role in helping to facilitate avoiding the unhappy outcome that we've described here today? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, they, they will, if the carrier still refuses to step up, you know, they can become the star witness in the coverage litigation and the in the bad faith litigation where you're trying to get the carrier to ultimately pay, you know, a settlement or judgment that has been reached. And so, you know, it's important that as their as defense counsel is preparing for the mediation, you know, that they've properly analyzed the claim, you know, that they've presented verdict and settlement value ranges that they provided a fully loaded litigation budget through trial and also provided a realistic assessment of, of, of risk that happens if they take, if this claim goes all the way to trial. Those are, you know, very strong pieces of evidence that can, you know, either help us twist the carrier's arm or to ultimately prevail at trial. Yeah, and, and I want to add here, this is one of the biggest mistakes, frankly, that I see policyholders make. Oftentimes, we're getting this call from the mediation because the insurance company has actually stepped up, agreed to defend the case. They've appointed the defense counsel who's handling the defense of the case. And the policyholder hasn't looked at the reservation of rights letter in about three and a half years while the case has been bumping through the court system. They've really taken a laissez-faire approach, and now they're sitting at the mediation And the insurer is saying, well, remember that letter I sent you three and a half years ago where I told you that there's no indemnity coverage or there are all these terms and conditions for the reasons why I'm not going to have to pay indemnity here. So I'm only going to pay 10% of this and 90% of this is yours. We have seen that scenario over and over and over again because people, policyholders fall into that false sense of security like, oh, this is insured because the insurance company is defending me. That's the single biggest mistake that we see people make. And the way that you avoid that is one, don't ever assume when a carrier is defending under a reservation of rights, you're good and you're covered. And two, without question, once that mediation gets scheduled, you need to start thinking about all of these things. And, and you know, the more information that you have in your hand to tell me when you're calling at five o'clock from that mediation, 
the more of that information you've already got collected, the better off you're going to be and the more we're going to be able to help you get that carrier to pay the claim. But but don't fall into that trap of, oh, the carrier's defending me, so I'm good. Because that's that's the most common way that our phone rings from the mediation with unhappy surprises. So Eric, thanks very much for coming and talking about how to get out of the bear trap of mediation with a no-pay carrier. As always, I appreciate your insights and the practical advice that you give. So thanks for joining us today. Great. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcasts, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.